0: This is the first of our podcasts on special topics of interest to therapists in private practice. This episode is Teletherapy. Let's begin. Hi, I'm Dr. Bill Whitehead, the CEO of Therapy Appointment. I'm here with Denise Hoyt, and we're going to talk about the topic of telehealth today, a topic that's become much more intriguing lately as many people have switched to telehealth in the wake of the COVID-19 crisis. Denise, why don't we start off by just saying what is telehealth? What's the definition?
1: Well, it's really very simply the the process of providing therapy services via electronic means.
0: Okay, so telehealth, so you just defined telehealth, but I hear a bunch of other terms bandied about lately. I hear telehealth, teletherapy, as though those are different things. Some people just call it tele-lately. Right.
1: Cybertherapy. There are so many words out there that are talking about this same process. And I expect that our profession will probably come to um, narrow, narrow the word choice that we use. But here in the therapy world, we tend to choose telehealth or teletherapy.
0: Yes, I've, I've heard both of those. So um, many people have expressed concern, though, that teletherapy or telehealth is not going to be as effective as face-to-face therapy. I mean, it it seems kind of intuitive that that would be the case. We, we think about this as being very much an interpersonal relationship, and you don't get that same feeling on a screen. Uh,
1: yeah so so far the research has shown that it is that it is not less effective than in person therapy so that's that's good news. That is good news. Um and it seems like that we may have a little bit of personal bias against that as therapist as not meeting in a person in person meeting. So um but the good news is I'm sure there's going to be more research to come. But right now it seems to be okay.
0: We have a wealth of information coming, I think. Uh, I
1: think <laughs> there's the going to be months. a lot of research projects going on right now. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: You know from your definition if I take it very literally, it sounds like a telephone call would qualify as telehealth. Is that something that insurance companies are likely to accept as a legitimate use of teletherapy just by a phone call?
1: Right. Well, insurance companies pretty much get to define what the services are that they're going to reimburse for. And traditionally they haven't they haven't covered telephonic therapy. So that's what we tend to call that is telephonic therapy. Don't tend to cover that except in extreme circumstances. Um, And in some cases, they might not even cover teletherapy itself. But in the wake of the COVID-19 crisis, many of them said, yes, we'll cover it.
0: Okay. You know, Many of our clients are already familiar with some form of video conferencing. They've used a Zoom for a work call, for example, or they, they may have a, a FaceTime on their Apple iPhone, or they may use Facebook Live. Are these considered to be okay media for teletherapy?
1: The typical answer is no, they're not. And um, the reason why is because they are not encrypted services. And we really need to have encrypted services.
0: So I understand encryption as being this kind of spooky mathematical cyber thing. But why is that important?
1: So encryption is something that uh, happens that kind of scrambles the signal. It's it's basically encasing the signal that if it were intercepted, no one else would know what that digital signature was talking about without having the key to that encryption.
0: So it really is just ensuring that nobody can tap the line as they used to say in in the telephone days.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, so I can see that. So, But if I'm not particularly tech savvy, and I've also heard, by the way, that you've got to ensure as a part of this teletherapy that it's not recorded. So how on earth can I look at my computer and say, oh, I can tell it's encrypted or it's, uh, it's not being recorded?
1: Well, the answer to that is you may not. So it's really important to subscribe to a service that provides that encryption for you and make sure that everything's being followed. And that means that you would ask for a business associate agreement from an entity that provided teletherapy services for you to for you to buy a subscription to use that service
0: so i know you know in my practice I may have a business associate agreement with my accounting firm because they have access to some PHI it's the same sort of agreement
1: it is and they're agreeing that they are abiding by HIPAA law and usually high-tech laws as well to protect that confidential information that you're going to be transmitting in a live format at that moment
0: you know, I'd heard that COVID hit us so quickly and it, no time to react that HHS had generously relaxed their requirements and uh, said, "Well, we don't uh, we don't have to have it encrypted right now." Is is that true? And if so, how long is that going to last?
1: Right. So what happened is that. The normal channels that would handle teletherapy just did not have the capacity for all of a sudden the entire United States being in this COVID crisis and needing teletherapy. So HHS said, well, the patient's well being is more important than the encryption at this time. So they relaxed those rules, but those rules were only relaxed for a certain set amount of time. In fact, if you're watching this video, after the first of October, it's very likely that you are required to have an encrypted service and a BAA agreement in order to provide teletherapy services.
0: So FaceTime is out. It's out. (laughs) Okay. Can all therapy services be conducted by teletherapy or is it restricted uh, to certain services?
1: So in some states, they may restrict some services from teletherapy, but the biggest um, catch here is that is the patient appropriate for these services so if the patient is not, uh, maybe they're not organized enough or maybe they're not capable enough or aware enough to be uh, given teletherapy services and an instance of this would be maybe you have a patient who's in the nursing home that is not they're just not capable at that moment of it's not going to be a good fit for them and we have to know that that's the case
0: right they've got to be familiar at some level with the fact that this is not right. a tv show this is a live human being so on the there other is some end. clinical
1: judgement on our part for sure
0: i see so are there any specific equipment requirements i mean let's say somebody has a 10 year old computer and they dust it off and uh, you know, buy a dollar store video camera, is that sufficient?
1: Well, I would say that if you're using a 10-year-old computer right now, that it's time to go out and buy some new equipment. <laughs> uh, typically, unless you've, you've uh, really made some updates to that computer, it's not going to be sufficient. Newer computers have higher resolution cameras already built into them, so that makes it very simple for you to have an all-in-one machine that can do it all. But if you don't have a computer with a good camera, you'll need to buy an external camera that is of good quality so that I can't stress enough the importance of good video quality, but good camera quality for providing telemental services here.
0: Okay. Probably applies to the microphone as well. I've heard some really fuzzy video calls.
1: Absolutely. So... What do we learn from that?
0: Well, get some new equipment, I guess.
1: Get some new equipment tested out before you ever actually have a real session.
0: It occurs to me also, I know that another HIPAA requirement is that we have to ensure that our equipment is free of viruses that could be infecting the computer uh, that can intercept signals before they get encrypted.
1: Absolutely. So you need to make sure that you're subscribing to a good antivirus software and that you're running those updates extremely frequently. Um, Additionally, password protect that device if for some reason you were to lose it, you need to make sure that no one else could get access to the subscriptions that you're using to provide care.
0: Okay, that sounds like great advice. Um, So Here's a scenario. I'm in Texas and my client is in Arizona. So, what does that mean? Do I need to be licensed in Arizona or in Texas to provide that service?
1: Well, in that case, it's very likely that you would need to be licensed in both. So, a good rule of thumb to follow if you don't know your state's rules is that you and your client must reside in the same state and it's very possible that even if your client is on vacation that you can't provide teletherapy services at that time because they're not physically located in the state so states are kinda looking at these rules and laws right now and seeing if they need to be changed so keep abreast of that your local organization professional organizations can probably let you know what's going on with that but do not assume that you can provide a client therapy anywhere in the United States except the state you're licensed in.
0: So technically, just to be clear, if you happen to have a license in both Arizona and Texas, that would be okay. Yes. But unfortunately, if you live in Texarkana, which for viewers that don't know, is a, a city that straddles the state line, technically, if they lived in the uh, uh, Arkana, <laughs> <the,
1: laughs> If the, you're in Arkansas and they live in Texas, yes. Yeah. You, that,
0: you should not be able right. to provide them those services. States
1: are developing some reciprocity laws, so I would just really encourage and maybe uh, contact them to, to make sure that that can happen for you. I think it's really a, a, a purpose of being able to treat that client.
0: Well, it would be great if the licensing requirements were uniform from state to state so that we didn't have to come up with 50 different sets of legal requirements. Is that the case, hope, hope?
1: (laughs) I'm just going (laughs) to laugh, no. So, um, wow, it's really complicated, a lot of red tape. And um, no, so every state's independent in what they require. But as I mentioned, some of them are starting to get some reciprocity rules in place. And the only thing you can do is encourage that to happen at your state level
0: so i have my standard informed consent form that if i'm doing face-to-face therapy i'll have a client sign any additions to that if we're doing teletherapy
1: yeah you really need to have a statement in there about the risks and benefits of therapy and how you're going to set up and manage emergency situations that might happen during teletherapy sessions
0: so you're talking about some kind of safety rules here what to what sort of situations are you thinking about
1: so bill of course there's always that thing we're assessing with clients at with mental health is that level of suicidality in a client and or you know homicidality in a client that that risk to themselves or someone else that we have to be aware of so um, we still have to report all of that just like we would in a uh, in a face-to-face session but An additional thing, in my office, if a client were having a medical emergency physically in my office, I would need to render aid. I'm still required to render aid in that situation because I'm observing it at the time. So I'm gonna make sure I know some things about that client. Where are you today, right? If I need to send aid, where are you physically located? What's the address? And also, who's the best person I should contact today if something like that were to happen because Maybe they're emergency contacts at work, but they have an adult in their home that would be better to contact at that moment in time.
0: Do you prepare clients for online therapy, or do you think they can just pick it up cold?
1: You know, as a therapist, I'm taught to be very collaborative, but this is one of those places I'm very directive. So I let them know why we're doing this and what we're doing it for and I'm taking time out at the beginning of every session just to affirm that we that everything's either the same as last time or if it's different today. So it's just something that changes, it's a little bit different than what you normally do, but you'll soon get used to that rhythm.
0: You know, I'm no expert in teletherapy, but I I have over the years learned a few things about photography and and I have some advice about the kind of the practical part of lighting and framing and view angles if you're doing teletherapy.
1: Absolutely, and I would ask you to share that with us today. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: I'll I'll be happy to. Uh, Lighting is number one. Uh, You know, if uh, if you're here and you have a window with strong sunlight behind you, that backlight situation means that your camera is going to narrow down the aperture and it's going to look like you're in the witness protection program. Your face is going to be entirely black and uh, you won't be able to tell what kind of facial expressions your client has and they won't have that sense of rapport with you ideally the best source of light is to your side as we're doing here in the studio that we have a light from the side that's lighting one side of my face more than the other and we do that because it gives a certain 3d feeling to the video that isn't there if the lights straight at you or straight overhead it looks much better Uh, Notice next time you see a news reporter, they use that trick in every shot. Yeah. A couple of other things. uh, Framing. Uh, You know, you can be far away from the computer or you can be right up against it. And there's pluses and minuses to uh, each of those situations. Obviously, up close, it's a little easier to gauge little nuances in expression, little little of the eye. The bad news is that the closer you get, the more it becomes apparent that you are looking down here and the camera's up here so it looks like you're not looking your client in the eye. That can be kind of unconsciously off-putting and and decrease this rapport. so backing up a bit has two advantages Uh, you know some emotion is gauged from shoulders you know that's anxious that's not and having that head and shoulders look helps a little bit in terms of gauging your your uh, clients mood state um backing it up even further so you get some hands in the picture as well can be helpful and uh, you know, the further away you are, the less apparent it is that you're not looking directly in their eyes.
1: Right. I think it's really important to have a little bit more of the, the seated position that we're, the client's seeing, you know, my hands as well. And I'm going to direct the client to back up. I think that's just really important to be able to see that. There might be times I ask them to pull closer depends on how good a camera they have. I think, Bill, maybe in the future they're going to develop a screen that has a camera built in the background of it that's just going to track our eyes so that it makes it a really natural way of seeing clients and if whoever develops that, I'll probably be first in line to buy.
0: (laughs) That's going to be great and I bet it's not that far away. These things uh, seem to happen pretty quickly. One last thing about uh, the video aspect of it is the video angle. You know, many people, when they use a laptop, they put it on their lap and they put it here. And if you're doing that, they're looking right up your nose. It's not your most attractive pose. Uh, so far better to have it at eye level. And uh, again, to have... I'm um, As I look at the video monitor, I'm doing a terrible example of this. All you can see is my shoulders. You can't see my hands unless I put them up here.
1: I think that it's really going to be worth in teletherapy to take time to practice and to take time to help your client learn because I want my client to have the best experience at that and I want to give them the best help so I need to direct them to back away, hey, you've got a window in this corner of your room, let's move over there. And let's really think about how we Get can make this lighting. Yes. a really good experience for both of us because I want it to be helpful.
0: Well, thank you so much for all of this uh, information.
1: By the way, a uh, little plug for our own
0: product, uh, therapy appointment. We have... Um, teletherapy services built in, and that's an advantage isn't it
1: it is an advantage one of the great advantages is when I schedule a patient I just click a button and it automatically knows that this is set up for a teleservice this day and the reminder goes to the patient and all they need to do is click on that reminder and they log in and join me so it makes it really simple I don't have to do anything extra like Sending out a different reminder that day from a different system, it's all encompassed in one.
0: And, of course, we've ensured that encrypted communication and all the other HIPAA requirements. Absolutely.
1: It's a given. It's just going to be there, and we make sure it's right.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for giving this very valuable information to our audience today.
1: Thanks for asking me.
0: This podcast was brought to you by Therapy Appointment. A practice management system designed especially for psychotherapists. Therapy Appointment provides online scheduling, billing, insurance, charting, appointment reminders, teletherapy, HIPAA-compliant communication, and much more. Therapy Appointment. You provide the therapy, we provide the rest. More info at www.therapyappointment.com. If you have a suggestion for a future episode of this podcast, please email me at bill at Thanks for listening. See you again next week.